Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host and sports writer for LSJ, joined by Lansing State Journal sports storyteller Nate Atkins. Nate, how you doing today, man? Doing well, man. Still reeling from that shocking game on Saturday where uh, we were wrong and everyone in the world was wrong except for, I guess, Mel Tucker and his staff because they seem to no things that we didn't, but that's the fun part of getting into week two is actually seeing what's real and what's fake. And I think the biggest thing I came away with is that week one was a lie. Yeah. I thought you were going to say because of everything that's happened in the past 24 hours, plus with the election results and everything like that. Uh. Well, no, you see, I'm using this podcast to step away from that for gotcha. once. Gotcha. And I hope I'm guessing some of our listeners might as well. At least I hope so. Yeah. Well, I should know we are recording on Wednesday afternoon. So, uh, Whatever result results we were to even talk about here, they will be things will have changed quite a bit since we talked about it. So let's just move on from that. I'm sorry I brought it up. That's my bad, Nate. Yeah, two two states will be decided by the end of this recording. So <laughs> Boy, that would be, change the whole game. That would be crazy if that happened. All right. <laughs> anyway, so the first thing I want to talk about is in last week's podcast we we mentioned some things that Michigan State could do. That could that could help them beat Michigan. Now, were we confident that Michigan State could do those things? Uh, not particularly while we were describing it, but obviously so some of the things that we talked about, they actually did and actually kind of proved beneficial. Nate, what what stuck out to you in that regard? Well, remember one of the things we said was that um, you know when they're on offense, we did not have a lot of faith that they'd be able to consistently run the ball with their offensive line against the Michigan State defensive line. And I still think that was very much true. But what they did was they, you know, they they attempted it enough in certain situations where it did give them something. It 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 converted some second and short type plays. It kept chains moving, you know, even if it wasn't explosive. And then. It, they kept setting up chances where they didn't. If you can break one runoff, you know it can change a little bit of the flow and the and the stature of things. So you know, I thought of that first, that second drive they had, which was their first scoring drive, and Jordan Simmons bursts up the middle. Yep, that is a simple kind of power uh, concept by the offensive line. It was just simple hat on a hat. Each guy um, kind of got his guy and, and opened up enough of a hole for Jordan Simmons to burst through. And I love the way that they they turn that into something beyond just a 28-yard run. They rush up to the line. They snap it before Michigan's really set. They go play action right back to Simmons. And you see Daxton Hill, the Michigan safety, bites down low, and he ends up peeling out, and they end up having two guys on the on the tight end who, who squirts into the – Matt Dotson who squirts into the flat. That opens up Ricky White down the field to just win a one-on-one matchup. That was kind of one thing we had mentioned is that they're going to have to find a time to use tempo and to kind of almost win on a shock effect against Michigan, have one tempo drive. 
that was kind of one tempo play, but it did all those things at once where it, 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 it capitalized on the one big run they did have in the game yep. and he used tempo to their advantage to kind of get Michigan before they're ready. Well, the one thing we did mention last week is that Minnesota had a lot of success uh, with inside runs or like directly off tackle runs, not really going wide with it. And while the running, they might have, they only, Michigan State only averaged 3.3 yards per carry, but they did get 126 rushing yards on 38 carries, which was much better than what they did against Rutgers. Rutgers, I think it was what, 39 for 50 or something? Something like that? Does that sound it's pretty does that, terrible? Does that sound it about was right? less than two yards of carry. Yeah. It is not, uh, it's not what you want when you're a Big Ten football team. So you, they, you know, they kept going at it. They were very conservative in their play calling and, uh, it's, that's a thing where if the result goes the other way and M- M- Michigan, you know, somehow pulls it out at the end, we talk about that conservative play calling. But uh, for now, for a year anyway, you know, Mel Tucker and company get to kind of tout tout that as as a key to victory, and especially when it came to not turning the ball over, which they had zero of on Saturday. Yeah, and it was by design too. I mean, that was I, I understand fans getting frustrated when it was third and fifteen and they'd run up the middle and all this stuff. But the reality is they and this, they showed this in week one too. They do not trust their traditional drop back deep passing attack. They don't trust the tackles, especially against a guy like Quiddy Pay, to drop back and play that way. And they know that it's more likely than not to result in disaster. Either strip sack, you know, Lombardi forcing the ball before he's ready, interceptions, and that's the kind of thing that can let this game kind of slip away. It was risky because they're pretty much banking on the fact that they can play good enough defense to not get burned by playing that way. Um, but I think they also were that confident in the matchups of their wide receivers against Michigan's defensive backs when it wasn't such an obvious drop back, you know, need time to throw type of situation. They knew there would be more chances throughout the game. And as I look back, I think that's the matchup that we did not give nearly enough attention to. We knew Michigan State's receivers were explosive. Obviously, we didn't know who Ricky White was at the time. Uh, but... It's Michigan's defensive backs were just such a struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they done, and this is one thing I think helps Michigan State this week against Iowa too. It's a weird year where when you're going up against a coaching staff that's been there for a while, it's almost easier to understand what they're going to do and what they're not going to do. Um, that's where I think Michigan State surprised Michigan as a new staff, did some things they had not done before on both sides of the ball, but. You know, Michigan, you know they're going to line their, their defensive backs up in, in press man coverage, but these are young cornerbacks this year. They did not have the guys to cover Michigan State's receivers, and it's one thing where as we get into Iowa, I think it's going to help them too in certain situations. Uh, they know what they're going up against at least, and it helps them form a better plan. And I thought Michigan State's coaching staff just owned the entire week of coming up with a good plan on both sides of the ball. Well, you gave a good segue in Iowa, but I'm not going to take it because I do want to go, go back to something you said about a minute ago. We we talked about uh, things that we maybe undersold and, and didn't really talk about. I think for me, I just thought the way Michigan's defense, the front seven just completely manhandled Minnesota. I just thought, you know, Minnesota is supposed to be pretty good. They're a pretty good year ago, had high expectations. And, you know, Michigan State's coming off a pretty poor offensive performance in the Rutgers game. So you're like, well, it seems like they're just going to overwhelm the gun. And that, that, that was not the case at all. Yeah. Well, what it showed me was, you know, it, it, it becomes easy to go all or nothing with something like an offensive line. I think we were a little hard on them last week. This is not built to be a dominant offensive line on either run or pass blocking, but they're, they're not necessarily terrible. They weren't terrible against Rutgers. They, they just got, they know what they are right now. They're, they're not, uh, 
they don't have enough chemistry to run some kind of zone concepts, so they'll run power run concepts. And you just got to give a guy a crease. You give Jordan Simmons a crease. This is a guy who had offers from LSU and other places in the SEC. He can hit that hole, and he can make something happen a few times a game. Same deal with you know with some of the drop back passing. They didn't give up a sack, which in part was how they designed things. They didn't drop back on third and fifteen. But it also was they can block off play action. They can, and when it's a four man rush and there's no blitzes, um, you know they held up pretty well against Rutgers too. So there's a lot more that that Michigan State's offensive line could do than compare that to Minnesota, who had just complete disarray in the offensive line, and it, it resulted in you know turnovers in these, and really the turnovers in that game, the turnovers in the Michigan State game, that's what kind of fooled us, is we read too much into results created by basically ten plays across two games. When there was a whole lot more in those games that that is more, uh, I guess, foundational for the way these seasons are going to go. I don't know, man. When you turn the ball over seven times, I think you, I think you should be able to read something into that. <laughs> regardless, you should, regardless. but part of it is just preparation of that week. I mean, they're going to come out with more energy against Michigan than they come out with against Rutgers. Yeah. At the same time, something like Jaden Reed fumbling in the open field because he hasn't played a game in a year and a half, and in the last one was in the MAC. That is not illustrative of what their entire season is going to be for the rest of the season. I, I just and also the, they they called the game differently because of that. You know, there was seven turnovers gave them an intel that they're like, no, we're not going to drop back, you know, and ask these tackles to block Quiddy Pay for a third and fifteen and have Rocky go down the field. We're fine punting the ball to Michigan in their own twenty, and it's a totally different deal than if you have a strip sack. Yeah. So some of it was by design. All right. Well, we did not get the great segue to Iowa this time, but we are going to move. And I want to start uh, in, in watching the Northwestern-Iowa game. The one thing that really stood out to me was that Northwestern was not interested in passing in any capacity. I mean, they only threw the ball 18 times. Peyton Ramsey was 11-18 and 18 for 130 yards. And you know, even when they were down 17 nothing, you know, early in the first quarter, early second quarter, whatever that was, uh, first quarter, Northwestern did not stray from their game plan. They kept running and running and running, and you know they only averaged two point four yards per carry, sixty for one forty three. But in the end, you know their strategy was sort of similar to what Michigan State did versus Michigan. They just stuck what they were doing, were sort of conservative, and in the end, you know found a way to erase that deficit and come out with a win. Yeah, I think that's Pat Fitzgerald believing his defense would hold and that this would become a tighter game and. Um, and they could eventually force some mistakes. I mean, Northwestern has had Iowa's number over the years, and a big reason is what they do on defense. They, you know, they play this too high safety look uh, that has just taken away a lot of the kind of outside stretch plays, motion zones, and sweeps that uh, that that a zone style offense like Iowa likes to do. And so Iowa just, you know, they when they tried those outside runs, the stat that just kind of blew me away was that, you know, when they were under center. They ran 16 yards for 10 carries, Iowa. When they were in shotgun, they went 47 yards on eight carries. Whole reason is that, you know, is is where those safeties are and what they take away from on the field. But Iowa just became so stagnant where they didn't have because they didn't involve the receivers in the run game. They're using these backs who weren't getting the job done last year. They're not getting the job done this year. And when they have an offensive line that hasn't had the time to put the chemistry together yet uh, for for those zone blocks. It's just very congested in there. And so I was able to – or Northwestern was able to make Iowa beat them through the air eventually on third downs. Spencer Petras having a tough year right now. One touchdown, three interceptions. Um, so that's the side of the ball that just has really held Iowa back. It's the reason they're 0-2, even though they've allowed 24 and 21 points so far. 
Yeah, I, I don't know what the reputation is because Michigan's only played Iowa once in the past five years. So I probably don't probably don't I don't follow Iowa as closely as you should. But I was surprised at how wide open they were passing. You know, even up seventeen points. You know, they were going three, four wide, a lot of eleven formation too. To and really just trying to spread the ball around, and they, they see, it seems like they have confidence of Petrus to do more with that eventually. Or do you think they might shift a little bit here against Michigan State? Uh, I think they'll shift somewhat. I mean, their top wide receiver, um, Smith Marset's out for the game. He got suspended. Um, and so, and, and they don't have another wide, they don't have any wide receivers even have a hundred yards this year. So they've just not been, even though they threw a lot to those guys, that's not, that's just not where they've been succeeding. And the guy that they trust, he had more than 700 yards last year is not going to be out there this week. So I don't know though. I mean, they don't want Petrus to, to throw 50 attempts in a game i mean that's how michigan state just beat joe milton was making him throw 50 times in a game take all these hitches and small plays and and just not really create anything explosive they've they've got to find a way to to work the run game and for iowa at some point because they've done it for so long at some point brian ferentz's offensive line kirk kirk ferentz's group they're gonna start to gel this just isn't the year to try and try and replace good starters in the offensive line and have those guys play together well. So big question for me is whether, you know, is week three the time that that starts to happen? Because if it does, you know, then they can do some things and and score a little bit on Michigan State. If it doesn't, um, I think this could be another pretty good game for the Michigan State defense. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they handle Petrus. If they, I wonder if they will sit back and, like, or not, not sit back, they, you know, put up numbers in the box and kind of dare Petrus try to beat him through the air, and if Iowa if that doesn't work, and Iowa has to resort to the one game run game, that you know obviously plays into Michigan State def- Michigan State defense's hands pretty well. Yeah, I mean right now with the way Michigan State's playing defense, they're not really, you know, they're running the four two five, so um, they are kind of lightening the box naturally. Um, the way the things worked so well in the Michigan game was. They, I don't know how they managed to do this. A lot of it's just Antoine Simmons and his understanding and his experience. But they were able to get him and, and Noah Harvey to just ignore pretty much any of the motion that Michigan was using. All this stuff that kind of gets defenses confused and linebackers out of boxes. And they said, just focus on Joe Milton and where the guards are taking you on, a, on certain plays. And it worked, and they were able to shut down the run. And by doing that, they were able to force Michigan into – kind of traditional step-back passing game where it was amazing how Michigan State lined their safeties just so far back off the ball. It was it was like Greg Williams was coaching the defense for a minute with a, a safety like 20 yards off the ball. whole reason was they were afraid of Joe Milton throwing at 80 yards and losing that way. They wanted to force him to be a touch passer in his second career start without receivers. He's worked with a lot. So there's some of that that can carry over to this game. Petrus is not this, you know, this Cam Newton style chuck at 80 yards downfield type threat anyway. And like I said, they don't have their top receiver, so I don't think they'll do that. But there is an element of you want him to to keep throwing. He's a he's a quarterback who's struggling, and when he's struggling, a team's 0 and 2, and he hasn't started before. There's a confidence issue there. Um, I definitely think they're going to find ways to try and get him to throw the ball particularly outside. And, and so to do that, they're going to have to find a way to cover a tight end, Sam Laporta, which that'll be the interesting thing because Michigan State's not been challenged yet by tight ends, um, but it's going to become more of a thing in the Big Ten schedule, especially when they face Penn State later in the season. So that's where it's going to be interesting to see how Antoine Simmons, Xavier Henderson, how they kind of play off each other to handle that position. 
So, so should we expect anything massive, any massive defensive changes for Michigan State? I don't think so. I mean, I think the four-two-five is just what they seem locked into. Yeah. It works with the two linebackers they have, Simmons and Harvey. Um, Xavier Henderson's doing a great job organizing those five guys on the back end. So it's just more about kind of where they – I think the only changes you'll really see is how they play those back five guys. Now, they disguised quite a bit against Michigan on third down. Um, like I said, they played the high safety. So it's just where those guys move. And I just think you'll see a little more attention this week on the tight ends since that's got to be how I was going to try and live in this game, I think. All right. Well, let's shift to the Michigan State offense versus – the Iowa defense. I had mentioned earlier that Northwestern really stuck to its run game in, in trying to win that game. Um, do you think Michigan State would take a note out of that <laughs> a note out of that book and maybe try to attack that way and try to get their run game, you know, a little more established than what we've seen in the past two games? Or do you think they may open up the playbook offensively even more with Rocky in the passing passing game? I think it'll be a good mix this game because you, this Iowa defense is pretty good. What you don't want to do is, um, like I said, they didn't want to get into obvious passing situations against Michigan. Same thing, kind of thing against Iowa. They've got a guy, defensive tackle, Davian Nixon, who leads the league and tackles for loss per game. He had an offer out of Alabama. I mean, that's the kind of guy who gets double teamed and still wrecks your passing attack. And so they, they don't want Rocky dropping back 50 times a game either. Um, and at the same time, you know, they – they're always going to try to get these this run game to work a little bit more. So um, it'll be kind of similar stuff they did last week, though. They'll try some off-tackle stuff. They'll try some uh, a lot of power-type power, power type blocks and, and just kind of do enough in the run game so that when Rocky is throwing, you know, it's third and four, third and three, not third and nine um, is the big difference. But at the same time, I still think they realize their best their best position by far right now is their wide receivers. Yeah. I think they're going to play off that. Um, you know, week one, David Bell for Purdue had 123 yards and three touchdowns, and that's with no Rondale Moore on the field. So one guy can take the game over. Um, I think they trust, obviously, they've trusted Jaden Reed and Jalen Naylor, but now they've got some trust in Ricky White, and I think whoever's the guy who has the best matchups of those three, wherever the safeties are not going, that's going to be kind of, kind of the guy they feed a little bit more. Yeah, if you had to make a pick out of those three, which one do you think will, will be the breakout guy for Michigan State on Saturday? I think we might start to see more of the Jaden Reed kind of full, complete game. You know, week one, he made some explosive plays, had the fumbles, which was frustrating. Week two, I thought he played quite well against Michigan. The difference is that Daxton Hill was on him and he was double covered, but you know, he was forcing the penalties. And I think this will be a game where they've got to – I always got to pay more attention to, to Ricky White based on what he just was able to do out there. Jalen Naylor is always a speed threat. I think you'll see a little bit more of the chemistry come together between Reed and Lombardi now that they've had a little bit of time. And um, he's the kind of guy that can, I think, can do more of a, you know, David Bell had 13 catches. I think there's only one guy in this offense that's really built to do that. I guess Ricky White just had eight. But I, I think Jane Reed's the best guy to, to kind of consistently deliver plays like that. Yeah, I want to get your thoughts on, on Rocky Lombardi. Uh, the if there was one, and this is a very minor ding on the Michigan game. It's that he barely completed fifty percent of his passes, but I think it was near seventy percent in the Rutgers game. So that may not be a thing uh, to worry about at the moment. Is this a talk a little bit about his improvement uh, from week one to week two? Yeah, you know, completion percentage. I always measure that up against you know the yards per attempt. 
um, because it, it it just very much differs in kind of where you're trying to go with the ball. Week one, they had they were they played a lot simpler. They did a lot of kind of outs and you know and rub routes and things like that to to get. They just want to get the ball in the hands of their playmakers. I guess Michigan, because those guys are playing up in the in the receiver's face, they want to go down the field. So when you do that, you know he missed a couple. You know he barely overthrew. Uh, I guess it was kind of a a missed chemistry play with Jalen Naylor, but they they almost had that deep shot. So those numbers can change a little bit based on the scheme. I thought he definitely played better. Number one, he was just very on on schedule with his receivers. They didn't have those miscommunications, and so he didn't have any turnovers. Yep. Um, I thought he played a really good game. The thing with but with Rocky, I think you're going to see this where he's not going to be a guy that consistently goes out and completes 75 percent of his passes. He's a guy that that is still a little bit raw as a passer. Um, that's the part of his game that's that's kind of developing. But he's a gamer, and he'll come up. He'll hit the big play when you give him an opportunity like that on tempo. And uh, it's you kind of take the good with the bad right now, but the good's outweighing the bad, in my opinion. Yeah, no, something Northwestern wanted to do against Iowa was they really wanted Peyton Ramsey to run. Uh, he didn't find much success on the ground game. Do you think Michigan State might try to get Lombardi going in the run game at all or kind of have him more be of a pocket presence? Yeah, I think they will. That's that's his, you know, that's a lot of his skill set is how he moves on the run, and it's gonna help the tackles out a little bit. Just in in terms of you know when you run some option stuff, you don't have to worry about that defensive end. He's kind of blocked by the scheme more than the players, and so I think they'll do some of that. Um, they really just need more go coming from their their running backs right now in order to to do some of that. Right now, Jordan Simmons is kind of more of a get the ball and immediately hit a hole type guy. So uh, kind of waiting to see kind of the, the guy that meshes best in that option look. But I do think that's something they need to grow because they're not built great to just run. the Like if I was weaknesses run defense, I don't think Michigan State's the type of team to make them really pay for that um, yet. But this is one wrinkle, one way, you know, as they mix in the option looks and, and some of the receiver reverses to Jaden Reed and stuff. That's a way you can kind of make up that gap a little bit. Yeah. Uh, if you had to guess, and a lot of this is based on formation sometimes, but do you think Hayward will get his third start or will it be Simmons on the on the field for the first offensive play? Um, yeah, it's tough. I, I'm going to say Simmons. You know, I guessed wrong last week. I think last week was more that Hayward's a player who'd played in that rivalry game. They wanted to come out with guys who knew what that meant. A freshman starting in that game – it's a little more dicey, yeah. but Simmons has consistently looked like the best runner, and and there's stuff that Hayward will bring that that matters. But um, I think you'll see Simmons. One of these weeks, it's going to be Simmons. So I'm just going <laughs> to keep guessing it until it happens. Yep, just keep saying it every week, and one it will come true eventually. All right, well, let's move on to the Big Ten picks. Unless you have anything else you want to add? Uh, no, it should be good. Perfect. All right, last week both of us went four and two, so <laughs> getting. Getting slightly better at these straight up picks uh, for the season. Nate is nine and four. I'm an eight. I'm eight and five. So, uh, Nate, you cling to your one game advantage. Hanging on to it. Hopefully, we can. I think we picked a lot of the same teams last week, so maybe we can switch it up and create some distance. I mean, I think we. Uh, I think we. Uh, that's a good question. I don't remember. I'm sorry. I'm old. I think we might have had the exact. Same I think we had one. the exact same. All right, but I see we have some differences this week. So yeah. uh, let's start with Nebraska at Northwestern. Yeah, you know Nebraska's been 
little Big Ten evil stepchild type thing. They're so ready to play a game. I'm not sure how ready they are to win a game yet, though. Northwestern's looking good. Um, They get back at home. I just think they've got it rolling on uh, both sides of the ball, especially on defense, and they're able to hold serve at home. I got them in a close game. Yeah, I was impressed with Northwestern coming back from 17 down to, to beat Iowa last week, so I will take Northwestern as well. All right, Michigan State at Iowa. Um, you know, this one's really tough. I originally was going to pick Iowa, but the more I looked into the way this game went, uh, or, or the way things are setting up, I think Iowa missing their top wide receiver matters quite a bit. I think that for a struggling offense, that's going to break out. If they're going to do the things they say they want to do with motions and all this stuff, they need their best athlete out there. And the fact that Smith Marset's not out there, I think kind of helps Michigan state keep keep moving on defense a little bit uh, to get enough out of Rocky Lombardi and win a close game. Wow, Nate Atkins with the switch from the pre-production meeting. Unbelievable. Switcheroo. <laughs> uh, for some of the similar reasons, I'm with you. I think I, I'm taking Michigan State to win this game. I just think if you look at each of their two games, if you put those you know, in a on the same bowl or whatever, Michigan State has the best performance out of the four games you know, combined between the two teams. So I just think Michigan State uh, is kind of the – the pick here, and if it's the line is still six and a half in favor of Iowa, I would say go ahead and take Michigan State there. All right, Michigan at Indiana. Ah, uh, this is another tough one. I wouldn't be surprised to see Michigan bounce back, but oh, Indiana were- has been impressive on defense. Really impressed with how they've been able to handle, uh, especially Penn State that first week down the stretch in order to come back, and then uh, then last week, it's it's a little risky because I don't think they were actually better than Penn State, but they found a way to win at home, and um, we'll keep rolling with them. It might get a little uh, hairy for Harbaugh here soon. Yeah, this is a very interesting game. You know, I thought about this a little bit, but ultimately I'm going with the Hoosiers as well. All right, Minnesota at Illinois. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Gophers here to get their first win. I was shocked they didn't get it last week against Maryland. They should have when they went back up 38-21. So I guess I'm just kind of baking on the talent level there. I, Illinois looks like a mess, especially with the COVID situation. So I'll go with Minnesota. Yeah, I'm going to make. I'm the one now pulling the switch for the pre-production meeting. Um, if if Brandon Peters was lining up at quarterback, I might think a little differently about this because that's why I originally had Illinois this week, but I, I didn't realize that he was still going to be out again. So I am going to flip to the Golden Gophers and, like you said, their overall athletic talent. I feel, oh. feel like they got to win one of these at this point. All right, Maryland at Penn right, State. We, we nope. each get one switcheroo. That's, <laughs> that's the rule. Maryland at Penn State. Yeah, I mean, this has got to be Penn State. Maryland looks, you know, they came back and won that game shockingly, but I think Penn State's actually really good. They've just faced the other two best teams in the Big Ten so far. Yeah, I've got Penn State as well. Rutgers at Ohio State. Yeah, real tough one here. I'd <laughs> go with the upset and go with the Buckeyes. Yeah. Uh, I've got Ohio State too. Well, I don't know how great uh, radio this made or great podcasting. We we had two different games. We had two different uh, picks at the start, and then we ended up both switching on those games. And now we now we share. Now we have the same picks across the board. Congratulations to us, and congratulations yeah. to you, the listener. One of these weeks, we'll we'll really switch it up. We were uh, two alike this week. That's not a good thing. It just I like to think of it as great minds think alike. And you know who else has great minds that think alike, Nathan? Coors Light? Yes. 
Well, well said. People who drink Coors Light. With the election and all the craziness surrounding it this week and beyond, we all need a moment to chill out these days. How do you hit the reset button? There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. Coors Light is the official beer of watching any sport or any team. So whether you're watching the Spartans this week or something else, crack open a Coors Light. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. A perfect moment to chill out. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind, as I did to compress after watching Michigan State's stunning win over Michigan this past weekend, or as Nate Atkins had to do, watching the Browns put in another miserable performance over the weekend. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. So when you want to hit the reset button in your busy life, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Coors Light. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Thank you for chipping in there, Nate. Perfect time. Yeah, well, and I just it. I just knew that dig about the Browns was coming, so I'm glad you saved it to the <laughs> to, very end of to, the podcast. To be fair, I did that to I mentioned the Steelers driving game when we did it in the other podcast this week for Slory. So oh, okay, that makes me feel a little better. That's just kind of that's kind of what we do. But the Steelers won, so there wasn't even anything for him to to be mad about. Yeah, and we'll we'll, we'll see uh, about football team this week and and how that goes. It might. Might have to bring that up in next week's podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, here's the Washington football team doing something bad again. But I'm always prepared for that because I always have my fridge stocked with Coors Light, Nate. So always prepared for that. All right, man. Anything else you want to – any thoughts about the Big Ten, Michigan State, Michigan, Iowa? Anything else before we sign off here? I guess the last thing I want to go back to was uh, just for a second. It was funny, the uh, you know the, the post-game trash talk with Joe Milton and Antoine Simmons and Joe Milton saying – uh, he was never on my radar, and I think people took that as a trash talk moment. When you go back and watch that game, I don't think Antoine Simmons was on his radar, and that is a big reason why they won. So, um, Antoine Simmons is a great player. If you don't pay attention to him, you'll probably lose against him unless you're Ohio State. Maybe they can afford to, but um, this was just a classic case of one coaching staff and one roster taking it a lot more seriously than the other, and that can happen in college football. Yeah, I kind of go – I mean, I sort of agree, but at the same time, I just think he was a kid who just very frustrated after a difficult performance and a loss against their rival, and he just kind of brushed it off sometimes like, you know, teenagers or early 20-year-old kids do, you know? Oh, no, there's definitely some of that, too. But I just think if Michigan had, had prepared more for Antoine Simmons in general, yeah. then they would not have called for a Wildcat <laughs> throw at the goal line that's basically counting on guys to be out of position and you've got a rangy linebacker who knows where to be in Antoine Simmons and I don't know. we we how many how many times do we see Florida and Tebow successfully run that jump pass against elite teams in all situations so I don't know if it's just that I think that's just credit to Antoine Simmons he was slightly out of position but recovered to make a great play and one of the most important plays of the game too obviously yeah, I, I mean, okay. I, have, I have no problem. Well, that's that's Tim Tebow, who's a quarterback, not Hassan Haskins, who's a running back. That's fair. But they, uh, I, I just think it looked like Michigan thought they could run whatever they want to run, yeah. and Michigan State's just going to have to deal with it. And it did not go that way. And the one thing we said last week I will give us credit for is we said if Michigan State's going to pull an upset, Xavier Henderson and Antoine Simmons have to play their best games, and I thought they both did that. Antoine Simmons was all over the field. That was just one of many plays he ended up making. And Xavier Henderson, you watch how he played in coverage and moved those guys around the back end. They were never confused by the motion. That's how you got to do it. Best players got to show out sometimes. Yeah. I mean, and I agree with you mostly about it really seemed like Michigan was not fully prepared for the game. So 
Anyway. Yeah, when you get pulled off sides twice, when you have a false start out of a timeout. Um, one thing that I also will say that I really give Michigan State credit for, they have not said this, but I have a feeling that in the pre, uh, pre-game meetings with referees and, and whatnot, I would not be surprised at all if Mel Tucker was telling them to look out for um, for the holding and the little the stuff that Michigan State DBs always do, grabbing the jerseys. Yep. They called this game tight a year ago. He knows that if they if they're able to win a couple of those, you get Michigan's head. And you know what? It was just so predictable because Michigan loses a game like that, and the next week Harbaugh's asked about his defense, and he says, "Oh, they weren't letting us play the way we want to play." <laughs> right? Like they just don't know how to work through those things, and so right. that was a good little move by the Michigan State offense to yeah. to pretty much hurt them where they. Them where they are weak. They didn't know how to work through holding jerseys and hands at every possible opportunity and getting away with it. Is <laughs> basically what basically yep. what it felt like he was saying there. Let us cheat, please. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and the USA Network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, freep.com, and on Twitter at Nate Atkins underscore at Phil underscore friend and LSJ. Green White. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.